because it just, you know, this, I just sense joy, again, I just sense joy here, a lot of happiness, a lot of um, joyful hearts, and the reality is, is I know that, that, that life isn't perfect for everybody here, <laughs> right? There's a lot of us going through little to big things in our life, things we would consider either from the level of frustrating to suffering, right? We have all the whole spectrum. And the reality is, is that the, the sermon today is going to touch on this reality. We're going to be talking about suffering, and we're going to be talking about how, what God's Word says about it. In fact, we're going to be talking about rejoicing, what the Bible talks about in regards to rejoicing in the midst of suffering. And I almost feel like we could leave right now without me preaching because I feel like you've preached the message already. I've heard through the, through the songs today talking about how we're going to, to worship you even in the midst of our suffering. And I heard in the prayers today that how we're going to worship you in the midst of suffering. And I see in the faces today that, the, that you all are finding joy and standing in God's joy in the midst of suffering. So let's go out to lunch together right now. <laughs> no, we'll still, we'll still hear the sermon. Um, so what does the Bible have to say about suffering? If, if you've read the Bible, you know it has a lot to say about suffering and how it's full of suffering, um, un, unfortunately. In fact, you, you'll, you'll remember how Jesus says, in this life, there will be suffering. So, so the whole idea of when you become a Christian, life is good, which I kind of thought when I became a Christian, when I started walking with God at 21 years old, and then um, not long after had cancer, I was like, wait a minute, this doesn't, this is not supposed to happen. Like, I'm a Christian now, life is supposed to be good. I don't know where I heard that. I don't know if, huh? Yeah, if somebody said it, <laughs> that's quite possible. And... And um, I don't think I'm alone. I think a lot of people, when they come into their life with the Lord, it's an idea that life is cool, easy, breezy, beautiful. Cover girl. <laughs> um, but Jesus says that it's, that it's not, that that's not the reality, that in this life there will be suffering. And if we think about James, what does James have to say about suffering. He brings it to another level. Not only will there be suffering, but he says, rejoice in the suffering. He says, uh, he says um, oh my goodness, of course I forget it in the, midst, in the moment. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you encounter various trials. Consider it pure joy. Another translation says, a gift. Consider it a gift when you encounter various trials. Consider it pure joy. And then Paul, who actually we're going to be reading from 2 Corinthians today, um, 2 Corinthians 4, 6 through 18. But in Romans, Paul wrote Romans as well, and, and Paul says in Romans, we rejoice in our sufferings. So, we're, we're called, as according to James and Paul, to rejoice in our sufferings. And I, as I was thinking about this, about preaching on this subject, 
I started thinking about rejoicing and suffering, or, or suffering, uh, the, the whole spectrum. And I thought about how good are we, if we're truly honest with ourselves, how good are we about, about rejoicing in suffering, even the, the little things. When we are in a rush, just about going to be late, or maybe already running late, and we hit traffic. Are you rejoicing in that moment? Or you're, you're cruising down the street and somebody cuts you off. <laughs> Is that a moment of rejoicing for you? Or even better, this one came to mind as, you're, as you wake up in the middle of the night and it's half dark and you're walking and oh, you, you stub your toe. All of a sudden, are there words filling your heart of rejoicing? <laughs> or, on the other hand, are there other words that are wanting to come out of your mouth that don't normally want to come out of your mouth. <laughs> right? The truth is, unless you're not like me, the truth is that even in the little things, sometimes we're not so good at rejoicing in the midst of our suffering. And then you, 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 you look at another thing and you think about real life suffering, the big stuff, the, the in-your-face, the... the the break-your-heart suffering, the financial crisis, the family crisis, the health crisis, the news from the doctor, the loss, the ultimately the loss of a loved one, the real suffering. Yet Paul and James don't, don't clarify, don't, they don't have like a line and they say, rejoice in the midst of this suffering but don't rejoice in, these, in regards to these suffering. It's this, this concept, this kingdom perspective, if you will, that we can rejoice in the midst of suffering. And if you look in, in both sections, in, in James 1 and, and in Romans, both Paul and James give a reason why we should rejoice. Um, they both have nuances that are different, but both of them agree with the reality or the fact that they are saying we should rejoice because we're going to grow in maturity. We're going to grow. And I'm going to trust that there's a plethora of different experiences in this room, even with just 20 or so of us, of suffering. And so I'm going to guess that some of you are like me. After you've been through some suffering, especially when it's fresh, or if you've been through a lot of it, you get to the point where you think, okay, we're supposed to rejoice in suffering. That doesn't sound very easy. And then we're supposed to do it just because we're maturing. That's just not enough. I need, I need more of a reason because suffering sucks. <laughs> it's hard. It hurts. So, and, and let me be real honest today and say, I remember a song when I first started walking, when I first started walking with the Lord, um, um, and the, the, the lyrics said, um, what were they? I can't remember the song exactly. All I know is that, it, that, that the song said, um, that in the song, 
we are called, we were asking for God to bring suffering, brokenness. Bro- that's the song. Brokenness, brokenness is what I long for. Brokenness is what I need. And it goes on, brokenness, brokenness. Is, and I think to myself, then I, I sang it with, with fervency and, and, and passion. And today I think, God, I don't want no more brokenness. <laughs> I don't want no more suffering. I want to I want, I mature. I want to mature in you, Lord, but I want to do it through happy things, <laughs> through joyful things, through reading your word, prayers, through hanging out with brothers and sisters. That's how I want to grow. Now, maybe you're, you're, you're eye to eye with me on this, or maybe you're saying, wow, you know, I can, I'm all about asking for suffering. Either way, let's dig in to God's word and see what, what, how we are supposed to rejoice in this suffering. Because either Paul and James are wrong in this, in this perspective, which would mean the Bible is wrong, and I don't think we're in accord with that, or we need to believe that there's a way that we can walk in suffering with an ability to rejoice in God, in the midst of that suffering. So, let's jump to um, our, our, our um, passage for the day, to 2 Corinthians 4, 6 through 18. Paul says, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side but not crushed, perplexed but not in despair, persecuted but not abandoned, struck down but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. Since we have the same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. All this is for your benefit so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Now listen to these words. Therefore, do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. 
So we read here about Paul talking about his suffering. We read that in verses 8 and 9. Specifically, Paul says, We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. So he doesn't specify exactly the, the, the details of his suffering, but he's talking about how he and other Christians are persecuted, cru- uh, you know, persecuted, but they're, but they're able to get through it. He's able to get through it. And while he doesn't specify what details about his, um, his suffering there, we, later in 2 Corinthians he does. In 2 Corinthians 11, 23-29, he goes on, he, he describes a, a, a bunch of suffering, experiences of suffering for him. And I'm just going to read it to you. He says, I have been in prison more frequently, been flogged, which is to be whipped, more severely, I've been, and I've been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received the Jews from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one, which was basically saying I was whipped nearly to the point of death five times. He says three times I was beaten with rods, and once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. How many people go through? You should stop, probably stop uh, getting in boats after the second one. But three times he was shipwrecked. He says, I spent a night and a day at it open, I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. He goes on to say, I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and I've often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face the pressure of my concern for all the churches. He says, Who is weak and I do not feel weak? In other words, who is suffering among my fellow brothers and sisters and I do not suffer with them? He says, who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn? This is a man who knows suffering. This is a man who holds the heart of God in his heart and feels not only the suffering that he's going through for the faith that he walks in for the gospel of Christ, but the suffering as he sees people walk away from God or deal with sin or struggle. He's a man who knows suffering. We, we could say that he is an expert in suffering if we're going to look at suffering um, and, and, and ascribe that to somebody. He's an expert in suffering. So we need to listen to what he has to say about it because he's a believer like us. He's a follower of Christ, a disciple of Christ like us. And he's remember, we have to remember, though we... We, I think some of us might esteem Paul as like this, this uh, otherworldly Christian, like he was beyond anything we could ever do. But we need to remember he was a human just like us. So there's nothing in him that was, that's not in us, no ability that he has that God has not given us in regards to seeking him. Um, 
yes, he was probably a type A personality um, um, Christian who obviously was passionate, but God, we need to listen to what Paul has to say to us, what God has to say to us through Paul about suffering. So we ask, Paul's been through all this suffering, how is he able to get through it for one? How's he able to put himself over and over into suffering? Like, like I mentioned earlier, I'm kind of in, in, in a space where I kind of want to get away from suffering, but Paul just puts himself in it over and over again. Near-death experiences through, through, nearly put to death over and over again. And he just continues. What is it about him that he's able to not only put himself there, but then rejoice in the midst of it? How is he able to do that? And I want to tell you that the key, the reason he's able to do that is it's all about perspective. The key is perspective. Perspective is everything. What are the lenses, what, what are the lens that we are looking at life with, that we are looking at our, at our suffering with? Through what lens? I want to say to you guys that we can rejoice in the midst of suffering when we gain a kingdom perspective. Paul had a kingdom perspective. He was seeing through the lens of a kingdom perspective. Now let me clarify what I mean by that. Some of you might have an idea already right away, but maybe not. So let me clarify what I mean by kingdom perspective. As I was trying to think how to clarify that, I thought of a few different ways. Like, it, you could say it's a heavenly perspective, um, or <clears throat> a, looking at things from a from um, from a bigger uh, a bigger perspective. Looking at things in a way that you see through God's eyes, a, a perspective looking through the lens of the world, through the lens of suffering, from God's perspective. And then, as I was as I was saying this, I was saying, wait a minute, Paul clarifies what a kingdom perspective is. In verse 18, he says, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. He fixes his eyes on what is unseen, on what is eternal. So to have a kingdom perspective is to switch our eyes from looking at things through our own thoughts and feelings, through what the world, how the world tells us to look at things and be afraid of certain things, death being one of them, and put on the lens of, of God, how God sees, sees things, to, to focus on the eternal and the unseen and gain revelation from and clarity about our situation, about our context, about life, through God's perspective on things. So Paul sees through a kingdom lens. He has a kingdom perspective. And in this text, Paul clarifies his kingdom perspective in three ways. He clarifies it in regards to identity. He has a kingdom perspective when it comes to his identity. He has a kingdom perspective when it comes to his priorities. And he has a kingdom perspective when it comes to hope. So identity, priorities, and hope. 
Paul is seeing these things through a kingdom lens, seeing these things from a kingdom perspective. So what do I mean by Paul having a kingdom identity or seeing his identity from a kingdom perspective? Well, let's look at verse 7. Paul Paul says in verse 7, but we have this treasure, speaking of Jesus, revelation of Jesus and Jesus himself, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power from God is from God and not from us. So Paul, and we talked about identity just over a month ago, about a month ago, about our identity in Christ. Paul knows who he is in Christ. He knows, who he, he knows that he knows that he knows who he is in God. And even as, or more importantly, is Paul knows the God that he serves. He knows the omnipotent, the all-powerful. He knows the omniscient, the all-knowing God. He knows the omnipresent, the all-present, the every, God's everywhere at all times. He knows and trusts in his God as a sovereign God that has all things in control and, can, and, and is, is over um, working in all situations. We think of in Romans 8.28 that God works all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Paul knows that. He wrote it. <laughs> he wrote that down for us. Paul knows who he is. He knows he's a, he's a jar of clay. What does that mean? He's a weak vessel. But in that weakness, that, that weak vessel, and we're all jars of clay, he knows that he's filled with, within that jar, within his weak vessel, he's filled with the almighty, all-powerful, ever-present God who created, the God who spoke life, who spoke into creation, who spoke and created all things, that God dwells in us. And he knows that. He has a kingdom identity, a perspective about his identity and a perspective about the identity of God that's, that, that's so big, that's so that's so accurate to the truth, meaning that he, belie- he believes the truth. <laughs> he doesn't believe the lies of the enemy. He doesn't believe the lies of the world around us, the tricks that try to trick us to believe God's something weak and we're something weak. But he knows that we are weak by ourselves, but in him we can do all things. As Christ, as God fills us, we can do all things as he strengthens us. So he knows who God is and he knows who he is. He has a kingdom identity. And as I said, Paul has a kingdom, he has kingdom priorities. So let me just throw it out there. What are, what are our priorities in life? I'm going to throw one at you that, 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 that will uh, shake us up a little bit. And I'm, I'm with it. I, I need to be shaken as well. I would say most of us in this room, unless we are super Christians, have an, a natural inclination to want to stay alive. Even though we know, we know that, that to live as Christ, as Paul says, again, this is some more of his knowledge, knowledge that he knows, to live as Christ and to die as gain. But we have, as a friend, I just heard, uh, I just watched a 
message from Francis Chan, we know, as Francis Chan said, that Christians in general are obsessed with staying alive. We're obsessed with staying alive. And in one way, you're like, obviously, <laughs> obviously that's, that's an important thing. But Paul says to live is Christ and to die is gain. And if to die is gain is real, if the Bible's true, then we have nothing to fear. We do not need to fear that. Yes, grieving the loss of somebody else is something different. We grieve and rejoice if they know the Lord. But for ourselves, we do not need to have that fear and that obsession. And that's something that Paul has. Paul knows that. That's how he can step into suffering, step into the potential of dying for ministry or for, for whatever because he knows and has, has a, a resolve within him. Not just, a, not just an insight, but it's, it's, it's bridged the gap. It's the idea that, that to live as Christ and to die as gain has, has came to his heart. It's a revelation that's part of who he is. So he has kingdom priorities. Some of the ways, specifically in the text today, we read in verses 10 and verse 11 about this kingdom priority, specifically regarding what I just brought up about death. He says in verses 10 and 11, we always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. And then he goes on to say it again. In other words, for we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So what is Paul saying here? Um, if you look at the text a little bit closer, it kind of gets a little clearer, although you may already have clarity from reading it um, the first time. But nonetheless, one thing as I was researching it that I, that, I, that I noticed is that as he's talking about in verse 10 and then 11, both talking about death, about him giving himself over to death. Actually, those two, verse, those two verses are talking about two different types of death. Literally, the, in the Greek, they're using two different words. He's using two different words. The first, in verse 10, he's basically saying, he's not talking about physical death, but more of a, the, the translation that some believe is better is a deadness. That he's living his life with some type of deadness so that Jesus may be revealed in his life. What does that mean? I think that, that we also get clarity from Galatians, again, written by Paul, when Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So we're talking about priorities. Remember here that, that Paul has kingdom priorities. So what does this mean in regards to priorities? This means that Paul is dying to self so that Christ, Jesus, who lives inside of him, in this vessel, this jar of clay, so that he can shine, so that the priorities of Christ can be walked out in Paul's life. So he's dying to his own priorities. He's dying to his own um, desires, though, though God does um, give us his desires, but he's dying to his daily priorities 
and dying to his perspectives and taking up the priorities and the perspectives of Jesus so that Jesus may live through him and may, may be glorified in his life. That's verse 10. Verse 11, the, the death that he's talking about is death. Real like type of dying death. And what he's saying there is all the time I get close to death through persecution for my faith. But I do it so that Jesus may be glorified and his life, his light may shine in and through my life. Paul is not afraid of death. So when it comes to death, he can endure it. His priorities is our kingdom priorities. And he knows that to live is Christ and to die is gain. So he finds peace and he can rejoice in the midst of suffering. Paul is more concerned with Jesus' life being made manifest in his life than the creature comforts of this world. So when he, when he uh, doesn't have enough to eat, instead of, instead of blowing that out of proportion, for, you know, missing a meal, he can find peace in that, knowing that, oh, God will provide the next one. You know, I mean, he has a kingdom perspective. And he says in verse 17, for our light and momentary aff- troubles, afflictions, are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all, right? So you see there the perspective change, the perspective that he has compared to some that we might have. He says the troubles of this world are little, are tiny, compared to the eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So Paul has a kingdom perspective and kingdom priorities. He sees things through a lens given to him by God. Clarity in this life, spiritual clarity that we too can attain, can, can, can grow in, in our lives. Sometimes it happens in a second, God reveals. And sometimes it's a process of transformation and of, of revelation over time. But as I said, Paul has a kingdom identity. He sees things with kingdom priorities and he has a kingdom hope. All Paul's hope is in God. Paul's hope is in nothing else. Not in anybody, any other person, not in good news, not in the news that he's not going to have to suffer anymore. His hope is in God. Verse 13 says, It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. He goes on to say, Since we have the same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. Now, how many of you read that and it sounds like a riddle? It sounds like, uh, Paul, what are, you, what are you talking about? I believed, therefore I have spoken. It sounds like some philosophical statement. I believed, therefore I have spoken. 
He says, since we have the same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore we speak. So if you, if you look a little deeper at this text, your eyes get open, or mine did at least, as I, I got clarity in regards to this, this text. So if you look in your Bibles, there's probably like a little letter or number there. There's a reference point to another point of Scripture. Specifically, Psalm 116.10. So Paul is saying, I believed, therefore I have spoken. Referencing to Psalm 116.10. So what is, Psalm, what is the psalmist saying? In the psalm, the psalmist, say, the psalmist is saying, Man, I was struggling. I went through tribulation and trials. I went through them all. And yes, God, God delivered me. And he says, I'm going to read it to you. He says, in the midst of the suffering, I believed. Even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. The psalmist says, I believed. Even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. So what is Paul saying? He, he's, he's, um, he's quoting the psalmist. Paul is saying, in the midst of my suffering, I say, I believe in the God that saves and the King of all kings, the Lord of lords, the powerful God that I serve. I believe in him. I have faith in my Father, no matter what happens. No matter what I go through, I have faith that all things work to God's glory and for the good of me as I love him and am called according to his purpose. Paul can say in the middle of affliction, I believe, as the psalmist did. He says we have, in regards to the psalmist, he says we have the same, that same spirit of faith that was in the psalmist. That's the same spirit of faith that we walk in. So Paul finds his hope in the king of all kings. He believes in the midst of suffering that his God has things covered and is going to use it for the good. So what, what else does Paul find his hope in? Specifically in verse 14 we read, he says, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with, with you to himself. So, in other words, his hope is in eternal glory with God. A, 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 an eternal, to live eternally with his Father, with the Lord in heaven. He has his hope set on the things unseen so that he can get through even rejoice in the midst of things that are difficult in those that are seen. Verse 15, he goes on to say, he, he says, I'll read them both together, verse 14 and 15. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with him, with you to himself, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. So what else is he hopeful for? He's hopeful for the harvest. He can endure suffering because he sees what God, he knows that the harvest is plentiful and he's excited about seeing many come 
to the Lord. As he says, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. So as, as he's in the midst of suffering and he sees people coming to a saving knowledge of Christ, his heart overflows with joy and he can, he can rejoice in the midst of suffering. And then again, my, I think kind of my favorite verse or verses in this passage as he finishes out chapter, uh, as chapter 4 ends, we read verses 16 through 18. As he thinks, as, as he reveals to his listener, to us, that he, ha- that he sees things and he realizes he has a kingdom identity. He has a kingdom perspective of his identity, of his priorities and of hope. He can say these words. He says to, to the reader, to us, Therefore, do not lose heart. Though outwardly, yes, the reality is we're wasting away. Some days it feels like more than others. But he says, yet inwardly, we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what, un- what is unseen. Since what is unseen is temporary, but what is, I'm sorry, what is seen is temporary, but what, what is unseen is eternal. God is calling us to take up kingdom glasses, if you will, kingdom lenses and put them on, and see life from his perspective. But we can't do that on our own. We can't do that on our own. Before I talk about how we might do that, I want to clarify one thing. You might have, this might have came to your mind already, and if it has, that's, that's good, because we need to address this. I want to tell you what I am definitely and wholeheartedly not saying today. I am not telling you all, I am not saying that we need to take the emotions that we have, the real pain, the real sadness, the real, the real fears that we feel, and stuff them way down deep and act like, them, like they're not there, and act like everything's okay to everybody. Put on a smile on our face. That is not what I'm saying. I want to tell you today that I'm human too, and I know that suffering, and let me say, grieving is very real. Whether we're grieving the loss of somebody, whether we're grieving the loss of our health or somebody else's health, whether we're grieving the loss of a job, whether we're just having a bad day, we have real feelings. And we go through real difficulties. And I want to tell you that we need to learn from the psalmists. If you've read some psalms, you've probably noticed a trend. The psalmists are very real with God. They come to God with their frustrations and they come to God with their questions to Him. And they come to Him with their fears and their burdens. And they, a lot of psalms start out with, God, why? Or, or, God, I'm struggling. 
God, help me. And then so many of them, as you get about halfway through, you notice something happening. You notice a change of perspective starting to happen. All of a sudden, they're, th- they're saying, but in you, God, I know I can find victory. In you, you are a powerful God. The, 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 the perspective starts to shift. So I'm not saying let's hide from our emotions, but I'm saying let's bring them to the surface and bring them to our Father and let Him comfort us. Let Him heal us. Let Him restore us. And also bring them to one another. Bring them to a therapist if you have to. Bring them to, um, if you feel the need, a, like I said, a therapist. Bring them to a friend. Bring them to a trusted family member or brother and sister. So if you're still struggling today, you know, the, obviously as, as a pastor, as a, as, a, as a family member, a brother of yours, my hope is that as I preach this, this sermon on, on rejoicing in the midst of suffering, my hope was, my hope is, that God would, and my prayer was actually, and has been, that God would come in the midst of us and in the moment give us revelation like this. And that those of you who are dealing with suffering right now, that are struggling, would have a moment with God, that God would touch your heart and that it would be transformed now by the comforting presence of our Father. And that He would give us miraculously lenses of the kingdom, a kingdom perspective to see things as He sees them so we can find peace And I pray that he would right now in Jesus' name speak life and light into your suffering and revelation into your suffering, into our sufferings, that we can have that revelation. And the reality is too though, that sometimes as I mentioned earlier, the revelation comes over time and it comes slowly. So I do pray as well that God reveals to us and gives us a kingdom perspective over the next days, weeks, months, years. Because sometimes that, that divide between the mind, the, 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 the insight, and the heart, the revelation, takes time. And we need to be praying that God, God breaks through, that God brings that revelation to us. In regards to revelation, in regards to God speaking light, Paul has kingdom perspective. And we're talking about how a king transforms our thoughts, transforms our understanding to a point. We see things differently. So I want to speak this into you right now to encourage that. I want to speak truth to you right now to encourage a new perspective, a kingdom perspective. So I want to remind you, the God that we serve, our Father in heaven, He is the God of creation. Lord, the, the song says, Lord of all creation, of water, earth, and skies. The heavens are your tabernacle. Right? God, God created all things, every beautiful flower, every beautiful butterfly, every tree, every 
island that we wish we were sitting on right now. He created those. And if you remember in Genesis 1, as God, the, 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 the picture that is painted, the, the way that it is written, is that God, before creation existed, before he spoke, he was hovering over the abyss, over the void, over the darkness. And as he was hovering over this unformed void of darkness, God in all of his power, in all of his glory, spoke, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that it was good. And I want to remind you that that same God that spoke and all things were created is the same God that met you on that day, whenever it may have been, when you were a kid, when you were in 20s, 30s, whatever it may have been, that same God who spoke light into the void, into the darkness of creation. He spoke life and light into your dark heart and brought you into a life of salvation, an eternal relationship, reconciled you to the Father. And I want to tell you right now that that same God who spoke light into the void and the darkness of creation created, the the same God who spoke light into the dark heart that you were living with and he, he, he spoke life into you is the same God who speaks life and light into that pain, that pit, that darkness, that void of suffering that dwells within you. He is the God that is right now speaking light and life into your suffering and will continue to. But guess what? He can't speak light. Well, he's God. He can do whatever he wants. But he, he speaks light into us as we draw close to him. So that's the key so, so if, you're, if you're thinking, well, well, how do I get that kingdom perspective? There it is. It's not, it's not complicated. It's not rocket science, as they say. It's us living a life rhythm of abiding with our Father. Living our life side by side with our Savior. And choosing to seek Him, and to love Him first. As we abide with our Lord, He speaks light into those places of darkness, those places of darkness, those areas of suffering, those areas of fear that hold us back. And as we gain a kingdom perspective, as He gives us He sheds light on the situation and we see it more clearly as he gives us his perspective and we see things more clearly. All of a sudden, we have a faith that can move mountains. We have a joy that draws people in to meet our Lord because they want to have that joy too. So when I'm up here and I'm telling you over and over again, get into your word, I'm not saying, 
read a Bible, to re- read a book, to read a book, because it's a religious thing we do. I'm saying, get to know the truth, because the truth will set you free. Get to know your Lord. Get to know your Jesus. Get to know your Father. Get to know the truths that Paul knows that, was, that, that caused him and allowed him to get through life victoriously, even in the midst of suffering. Get to know your God. And when I tell you, get by yourself as Jesus did, sometimes we think, oh, I talked to God through the day, which is awesome. But let me tell you what, Jesus also got alone with God regularly. We need to make that time. And I'm not saying it because it's a religious thing to do and we should do it, but because we need time chatting with our good, good Father who gives us knowledge and revelation and insight into our situations. And lastly, I've already mentioned it, But the other way that we abide is by hanging out with one another. And what do I mean by that? I mean that as we talked about a kingdom identity earlier, Paul having a kingdom identity, if we know our kingdom identities, we know that Christ lives in us. And that we day by day are are transforming to be more and more in the image of our Lord. So as we want to abide with our Lord, remember our Lord abides in our brother and sister. And as we draw close to them and we talk about our good, good Father and we we care, we comfort one another, we are feeling the love and the comfort of our Father, of our Lord. In fact, in this same book that we've we've been engaging in 2 Corinthians, the first chapter Paul says these beautiful words, 2 Corinthians 1, 3-4. And I'm talking about this in light of the fact that we need to be comforted, we need to abide in the Father in Christ to be comforted, to get revelation and insight and perspective, and also get comforted from one another, the vertical and the horizontal. So listen to these beautiful words. 2 Corinthians 1, 3-4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Let us abide. Let us abide in our Lord. Let us intentionally make it a part of our rhythm of life. Let us consistently make it a part of our rhythm of life. And then when we find ourselves kind of slacking off, let us find that persistence within us and persistently abide with our Lord. As Paul finishes up his sec- this text, I, I've read it once and I'm going to finish by reading it as well. As we think about 
changing our perspective to a kingdom perspective, abiding with our Lord. Paul says, therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So, joy, Christian sinner, family, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal, and it transforms our lives so that we too may walk through this life where there's going to be suffering, arm in arm with our heavenly Savior, our heavenly Father, rejoicing even in the midst of our suffering. And a song came to me, um, or I was reminded of a song as I was researching and, and praying through this, this week, this, through this text. And I thought, to summarize all that I've said right now, is that we need to turn our eyes upon Jesus. So let's turn our eyes upon Jesus and let's sing together. Turn your eyes upon Jesus The whole in His wonderful face And the things of earth will grow strangely In the light his glory and
and some very difficult. And whether we are walking in rejoicing through it or struggling through it, I want to offer you all the opportunity. I want to ask if you have a burden right now, if you're suffering or struggling, and I want to encourage you to come forward because... I would like for you to be prayed for today. And if you don't have a burden and you want to pray for somebody, come on up and uh, if you're willing to pray. And I would encourage you, don't be shy. Um, we're, at, we're with family. <laughs> and God listens to our prayers. So come on up if you can pray and come on up if you want to be prayed for.
I'll stay up here if anybody else needs prayer, but just sit in his presence. an orphan lost at the fall running away when I'd hear you call Father you worked your will I had no righteousness of my own I had no right to draw near your throne but Father you loved me still and in love before you laid the world's foundation you predestined to adopt me as your own you have raised me so high above my station i'm a child of god by grace and grace alone you left your home to seek out the lost you knew the great and terrible cost but jesus your face was set and i worked my fingers down to the bone nothing i did could ever atone but jesus you paid my debt by your blood I have redemption and salvation Lord you died that I might reap what you have sown and you rose that I might be a new creation I am born again by grace and grace alone I was in darkness all of my life I never knew the day from the night Spirit you made me see And I swore I knew the way on my own A head full of rocks, a heart made of stone but Spirit you moved in at your touch my sleeping spirit was awakened on my darkened heart the light of christ has shone called into a kingdom that cannot be shaken heaven's citizen by grace and grace alone 
So I'll stand in faith by grace and grace alone. I will run the race by grace and grace alone. All my sins were slain by grace and grace alone. I will reach the end by grace and grace alone. Do you feel the world is broken? We do. Do you feel the shadows deepen? We do. Do you know that all the dark won't stop the light from getting through? We do. Do you wish that you could see it all made new? We do. Is all creation groaning? It is. Is a new creation coming? It is. And is the glory of the Lord to be the light within our midst? It is. Is it good that we remind ourselves of this? It is. Is anyone worthy? Is anyone whole? Is anyone able to break the seal and open the scroll? The Lion of Judah conquered the grave. He is David's root and the Lamb who died to ransom the slave. Is he worthy? Is he worthy? Of all blessing and honor and glory, is he worthy of this? He is. Does the Father truly love us? He does. Does the Spirit move among us? He does. And does Jesus, our Messiah, hold forever those He loves? He does. Does our God intend to dwell again with us? He does. Is anyone worthy? Is anyone whole? Is anyone able to break the seal and open the scroll? The Lion of Judah 
conquered the grave. He is David's root and the Lamb who died to ransom the slave. From every people and tribe, every nation and tongue, He has made us a kingdom and priest to God to reign with the Son. Is He worthy? Is He worthy of all blessing and honor and glory? Is He worthy? Is He worthy? Is He worthy of praise that our prayers do not fall on deaf ears. But Lord God, we also thank you and praise you for the fact that our, our perfect mediator, our great high priest, your spotless son Jesus, is a savior, is a priest, is a mediator who relates to us. For he was in every way tempted and yet thankfully without sin. Lord God, that you would become human ultimately to save us, but what a great, what a great benefit to be also able to pray to a deity that understands, that understands sorrow, that understands grief, that understands loss, that understands pain. What a comfort it is to worship a God who, when he inflicts us, does not do so without knowing himself what it feels like. Holy Spirit, help us to count it all joy. Help us to look at and receive suffering as a gift. And may our hearts be actually convinced of that. May it not just be a verse that we know exists, but one that is not felt. May it not just be something in the Bible that doesn't comfort us, but Holy Spirit, breathe life into these verses. Transform our hearts with these verses. Wash them with your word. 
May they be convinced that suffering is good. And may they be comforted through it all. Lord God, help us to look at the world through a kingdom lens and a heavenly economy. One where the last shall be first. One where suffering is a, is a benefit. Where discipline is love. And one where there is no work, no thing that we can do to contribute to our salvation. Lord God, we praise you and we thank you above all else that your words upon the cross, it is finished, that you meant it and that it is true. Lord God, we love you, which is a funny thing to say when we are so often unloving. And even more rich to say it in the house of the living God whose love is never failing. But for what it's worth, we love you. And we thank you. And we praise you for your majesty and your magnitude and your goodness and your goodness to us. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would continue to work in us. That we would bear more and more fruit, that we would look more and more like Jesus, that every day we would choose the better portion as Mary did, that we would choose to abide, that we would draw near, and we know that you, O oh faithful and promise keeping God, will draw near to us because you have said that you would. We commit this Sunday and all that we are to you, and we pray all this in the beautiful name of Jesus. And all of God's children said, Amen. Just uh, before, we, before we leave, I just wanted to say, first of all, thank you, Lucas. Beautiful, beautiful uh, worship today. Um, I feel like I could do this again right now. I <laughs> just keep uh, worshiping with you all. It's just been such a blessing to me. God's uh, been working on my heart, touching my heart today, and just feeling his peace, feeling his, his love this morning. And uh, I feel like I could stay here another couple hours worshiping with you guys, but I realize that it's time to eat. So <clears throat> I just wanted to say it was, it was so nice seeing everybody today. Um, we had a good crowd today, and, it, it's, and I just, again, the, the joy that, was, that is here and was, has been here today is um, electric. It's, it's um, contagious. And I, want, I wanted to say before we finish up, or encourage you to keep it up. And what I mean by that is if you have time and, you know, you're able, go out to lunch with somebody or spend some time at least talking to somebody before you take off because we're a family and, and it's good to get together and it's good to hang out and share our love with one another, God's love within us to one another. Um, so, yeah. Just wanted to encourage you if, you, if you have the opportunity, invite somebody for a sandwich or, or go out for lunch or something or hang out with each other in general. So blessings to you all, and we'll see you uh, next week, if not before. And for those of you that didn't know, there is a little shop of sweets in the lobby. Have at it. <laughs>